All right. First John, yeah, okay. I'm going to keep rolling. First John 3, verse 4. I'm going to read it to you out of the um, New American Standard Bible version, okay? Now, this is beginning in verse 4. It says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. I know lawlessness is not a word that I use in my common everyday vernacular, probably not one you use. It's the same word as obedience. So let me read it again with that word. Everyone who practices sin also practices disobedience. Excuse me, I said, dis, I said obedience, didn't I? Man, catch me, guys. Help me. Disobedience. All right. And sin is disobedience. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him, talking about Jesus. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I began to talk about the fear of the Lord, the reverential fear of the Lord. And where God took me this week was really interesting because I want to talk to you about the practice of righteousness, the practice of righteousness and what that means. Because a lot of people today refer to sin as, well, you know, I've got a problem. It's a problem. Uh, I heard one person say, um, well, so-and-so's got a problem, they're working on it. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, they're an adulterer and they're, instead of having two affairs, they're only having one now. What does that mean I'm working on it? Right. You know, now I only will look at porn twice a week instead of five times a week. You know, I'm, I'm getting better. I have a problem, but I'm working on it. I mean, you see, you see the problem with that because... Because sin is not called sin, it remains. When we go to the, uh, the prison once a month, um, we get to talk to these guys. And I'm so impressed with their vulnerability because when you talk to them and you ask them, hey, you know, what are you in here for? They will tell you everything. I mean, they will be so open, so vulnerable. Why do they do that? Because they teach them at Pathway to Freedom, which is, a, is an amazing program for these men. It's a two-year prior to parole program, and it teaches them Jesus morning, noon, and night. Well, they've come to understand that when the light of Jesus shines on that area, it gets exposed. And the light of Jesus is what changes you. You can't be changed when you hide something in the dark. Why? Light can't shine on it. So when you're vulnerable, when you yourself, if you've got something going on in your life and you get vulnerable with God, well, I don't have to get vulnerable with God. He already knows. Well, yeah, all the more reason why you should get vulnerable with him. He already knows. What a great person to talk to, somebody that already knows your situation and still loves you. Does that like mess you up or what? That messes me up. And so when I get vulnerable, when you and I get vulnerable with God and we tell him what's going on in our life, then suddenly he gives us the answer and he can intervene and he can help us stop sinning. But we have to be willing to call sin what it is. Last, uh, last month we went to um, 
the Jesus Image Pastors Conference. And one of the speakers was Jeremy Riddle. And one of the things that he said that really fits with what these guys went, so they're pretty excited. But uh, one of the things that he said that fits so well with what we're talking about this morning was he made this comment. He said, people are being comforted and consoled in their sin in the church. I agree with it 100%. That's exactly what's going on because, you know, we coddle people and we comfort people and we pat them on the back and we say, bless your heart, bless your heart. You're really going through it. How many of you, your mom and dad, when you got home past 11 o'clock at night, past curfew, whatever your curfew was, mine was 11, your parents put their hand on your back and said, oh, bless your heart. You got home late, bless your heart. Yeah, my parents didn't either. Yeah, I didn't think so. All right, so this is something else Jeremy said that was so good. He said, repentance needs to be restored to the church. Big amen right there. Why? Because righteousness begins with repentance. You can't have righteousness without repentance. It's the very thing that opens the door for you to be able to have righteousness. And, and why is that important? Because sin is what separates us from God. It distances us from Him. And so God doesn't want that. God is so in love with you. He wants to draw you closer and closer and closer to Him. He loves you that much. And so he can't, though, if there's sin. But what repentance does is repentance enables us to come right back into his arms. Because the curtain in the temple was ripped in two. What does that mean? Now we have an open door right into the presence of God. Oh, thank God. Let me read some good news to you out of Acts 3, verse 19. I'm going to read it to you out of the NASB again, New American Standard Bible. It says this. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. That's the importance of repenting, returning. So your sins are wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. You want to feel refreshed? Get back into the presence of God. Man, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Why wouldn't we want to stay in here? Because everything else is difficult. Hard, struggles, toil, blood, sweat, tears. I don't know about you, I'd rather have easy and light. Amen? Especially when it comes to my conscience. All right. So, for a Christian, repentance is a practice. It's a practice. It's something that we're going to do again and again. This is not a one time you come to the altar, you repent for everything, yes. Everything up to today, yes. But you got tomorrow, (laughs) and you got next week, and you got next month. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you can do something that you're going to need to repent of. And so we should look at repentance as the same way that we look at salvation. Salvation is a gift. Guess what repentance is? It's a gift. It's a gift. We're living in the day of grace so I can come before the Father. I have an advocate with the Father and his name is Jesus. He's my advocate. Oh, thank God. So let's read. So so like salvation, it's a gift, but it's the practice of righteousness, this repentance. 
It's that practice. Okay, so I want to read verse 7 again from 1 John 3. It said, little children, if you're still there, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as, the one, just as he is righteous. You remember when Jesus said, he said this in Matthew 5, verse 48. He said, but you, uh, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I don't know about you, but that verse is scary. That word perfect is what gets scary, right? Because none of us are perfect. How many of you have heard that? None of us, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Well, the, this word perfect, do you know what it means in the Greek when you look it up? It means complete. Perfect means complete. We are made complete in him. So we're made perfect in him. He's the one that completes us, right? So perfection is not this some form of excellence, but it's a form of completeness. So the practice of righteousness is obedience. So the practice of righteousness is this obedience which perfects us. You remember when Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he came to him and he said, he said, what what law should I obey? And Jesus told him and he said, what else do I lack? And Jesus said, this one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have. He said, he said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have. Isn't that interesting? Perfection, completeness is associated with obedience. All right, you guys, I grew up with um, uh, practice makes perfect. Remember that slogan? And then we discovered that if I wanted, if I wanted to be the next Steph Curry, <laughs> which wouldn't happen, but if I wanted to be able to shoot threes like him, then, and, and I followed this practice makes perfect, and I'd shoot and make two out of 15, have I practiced? Yes. Have I practiced until I'm perfect at it? No. So it's incomplete. What do I need to do? I need to find the basket, hit it again, hit it again. I keep practicing until I'm making 15 of 15. That's perfect practice, which makes perfect. Does that make sense? Right? Okay, so, so we understand that. So God said in Philippians 1, 6, he said, he said, I will complete the work that I started in you. Yes. Right? So you, you were born again. God says it's possible for you to live a sinless life. He said, be holy as I am holy. And so all of us are going, how do we do that? How do we do that? Let me give you an important key. Repentance. I used to have a horse growing up. One time I was thrown from our horse. I was thrown a lot of times. I mean, I was, I was 88 pounds soaking wet. I mean, I was a little guy. I was eight years old, you know? And so all she had to do was like, like she was getting a fly off of her back. She just go, beep, and I was gone, man. I was laying on the ground. And she was a quarter horse. So she was a good, tall horse. And I remember one time there was a dog um, there was a stray dog, and my dad made a mistake. He started feeding it. Problem was, our horse hated this dog. 
And so I was on her, and my legs were not long enough to go all the way down to the stirrups. So, you know, the straps that they that hold the saddle on, I'd stick my feet in there and crunch them in there so that I wouldn't come off, you know. And so I was holding on, and I got on the horse, and I would dress up like a cowboy because I'm eight years old, man. You know, got to wear the gun, the whole deal. And so here I am on the horse, and I go trotting around the back of the house. We had about two acres, and I'm coming around the back, and, and this dog comes out and snips at her heels. She takes off. I mean, full gallop going, and I did not know how to stop her. I'm eight years old. I didn't know you could pull one rein, turn her head, and at least get off, you know? And so I'm contemplating, do I jump off? I thought, no, I better hold on for all I'm worth. What does she do? She runs all the way out into our neighbor's pasture, comes back around, comes all the way back to the gravel road, and ducks under two trees and swipes me off on the gravel road. I broke both of my arms. <laughs> Literally, I had a full cat. Anyway, why am I telling this? Oh, the, the horse. When I got, I'm oh, sorry. Okay, I'm here. When, when, when I got healed back up enough, I got back on the horse. Why? Because it's time to make the horse understand who is boss. Even for an eight-year-old little boy. My parents taught me the importance of getting back on the horse. You have to teach her who's the boss. Well, look at what Jesus said. Oh, I'm jumping here. But <clears throat> where is that part? That's so good. Ah, huh? no, wrong one. Okay, Genesis. It's in Genesis. Oh, yeah, there it is. All right, Genesis 4. Verse 7, you remember Cain and Abel. Abel, he offered this sacrifice and it was pleasing to the Lord. Cain offered a sacrifice. It was not pleasing to the Lord. And listen to what the Lord said because Cain's countenance fell. He had a bad attitude after that. And God said to him, he said, if you do well, in verse 7 of Genesis 4, if you do well, you will, not, won't, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You should show sin who's boss. How do you do that? By the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the redemptive power that God has put in you to be able to come to him and find repentance and acceptance in him. Get back on the horse. You get thrown off, you sin, get back in righteousness as fast as you can. Don't run away from God, run to Him. Yes. All right, okay. I don't even know where, I, okay, that was a long way down there. All right, let's go back to my, where was I at? Somebody know? That's okay. So the Holy Spirit, He's your helper. helper. He's your practice coach, Okay. He's the one that's going to help you. He's the one that refines your practice skills. Listen to what it says in Psalm 131.8. It says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord will complete that which concerns me. You're not going to be a car just sitting up on blocks out in, in, in God's front yard somewhere forever. 
He's faithful to complete the work that he starts in you. Aren't you, aren't you happy about that? So, but oftentimes, oftentimes, turn over to 1 John 5. You were there in 1 John 3. Turn over to 1 John 5. Many times we like to rate sin. Our culture is one that we like to categorize things. You know, this is bad. This is good. This is really, really bad. This is, you know, this is okay down here. And we categorize things. This scripture is one of those scriptures that was a puzzle to me for a long time. And uh, maybe you'll agree when we read it here in, in 1 John 5. Look at verse 16. It says this, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There's a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there's a sin not leading to death. How many of you are puzzled right now? It's a Rubik's Cube waiting. Okay, yeah, I was... I was too, but I want to submit something to you um, from, this is from the IVP New Testament commentary. This is so interesting. Listen to this. This is what they had to say about this verse. They're talking about sinning, sin that does not lead to death. They said this, the distinction between the kinds of sin, these kinds of sin is not ranking or the seriousness of sins that believers commit. Instead, we have here an implicit distinction between the kinds of sinners and sinning. Sinning not unto death is paradoxically sin in, its realm, uh, in the realm of life committed by one who has eternal life. Some of the epistles' statements in chapter 3 and chapter 5 could be taken to mean that sinning is evidence that one does not have life. Yet when sins are dealt with in accordance with God's plan for forgiving sins through the prayer of forgiveness and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God hears the prayers of one believer for another and so forgives the repentant sinner. The sinner remains in the realm of life, yet in no way is John sanctioning cheap grace or licentious lifestyle, amen, for, I got one amen on that, amen, there you go, uh, for all wrongdoing is sin. Now, listen to what they said about sin leading to death. But where there is no confession, meaning where the person is not born again, they're not a born again Christian, they haven't given their lives to the Lord, where there is no confession, there is sinning unto death, sin committed in the realm of death, sin that comes from and leads to death for the one who is guilty of it. So here's the good news. You've given your life to the Lord. Then you make it, you sin after you've given your life to the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but... But we've all been confronted with this because some people think there's a magic pill that you take that when you get born again, suddenly you're going to be perfect and you'll never sin again. But what has God done for us? He has given us an advocate with the Father so that we can come right back. So that if you sin, not when, I didn't say when, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. A person that's not born again does not have that advocate yet. 
Does that make sense? But when you receive Christ, so we don't pray for them regarding getting their sins forgiven. We pray for them to come into the family to change kingdoms. We witness, like Gary talked about this morning. We, we believe for our family. We don't debate with our family. We love them into the kingdom. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. You're not the Holy Spirit last time I checked. Okay. All right. So I already told you my horse story. That's where that was supposed to go. All right. So, <clears throat> all right. Let's, there are five guys to me that come to my mind when I think of people that were really good at practicing righteousness. Men, and there were women in the Bible too, forgive me. I mean, Esther falls in this category. Many women, Ruth and others. Um, But there were five men that jumped out at me when I thought about people who were really good at practicing righteousness, walking in obedience. Jesus, obviously. But Abraham, Moses, David, Paul. Think about Abraham. Think about how obedient he was. In fact, it says in Genesis 15 verse 6 that he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham was considered righteous. Why? Because he believed. Now, this is something that's interesting to me because maybe this has happened to you too. I remember uh, my wife and I, we would... um, God would put it on our heart to sow some seed into someone else or a ministry or to another person. And even before we gave the seed, God already brought in the harvest. And I thought, God, I didn't get an opportunity to sow the seed. He said, I saw the motive of your heart that you had already done it in your heart. Think about Abraham. God... (laughs) Abraham's the same way. He believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God saw saw the motive of his heart, that his heart was to please God. So what we believe is what we put into practice. What Moses or Abraham believed was what he put into practice, right? So if you believe that it's impossible to live free from sin, guess what you're going to put into practice? Impossibility. But when you try to do it on your own, you live under condemnation. And yet, in Romans 8, 1, it says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ Jesus. Oh, it goes deeper. You ready? Galatians 3, turn over there because we need to read this, put our eyes on it. It's a good idea. Uh, Galatians 3, I'm going to read it off of my iPad if you don't mind. I just want you to see, I have a paper Bible and I read it all the time. God's word is just so amazing. Galatians 3. Um, We're going to look at um, verse 5. It says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believed the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scripture looked 
forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaims this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Oh, it's because of your faith. You can't have righteousness without obedience. You can't have it. See, Abraham obeyed and it was credited to him. So let's consider Abraham's life here for a second. I just want you to see, I'm just going to give you a synopsis of the timeline of obedience in his life. Genesis 12, God calls him to go to Cana at 75. He leaves, takes his family to the land of Canaan. Genesis 12, uh, later, later on in the chapter, God promises to give him the land of Canaan. Later on in chapter 12, Abraham moves between Bethel and Ai. He builds an altar and he calls out on the name of Yahweh. In chapter 13, Abraham worships the original, at the original altar after returning from Egypt. That same altar where he worshiped before. In, uh, in later in 13, Abraham moves uh, to the oaks of Mamre, builds another altar, and he calls out on the name of Yahweh there. Uh, later in chapter 14, Abram attacks the king who took Lot's family captive and recovers all. Later in 14, Abram gives 10% to the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and he tithes everything, uh, tithes the tenth of everything to him. In chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. And later in uh, chapter 17, God renames Abram and Sarai and makes a covenant with them. And Abraham with when he's got over 300 men in his household, he circumcises all of them out of obedience to this covenant that he makes with God. He does it then, even circumcising himself. Glory. Okay. Uh, chapter 18, Abraham intercedes for Sodom. God gives him the opportunity to intercede for Sodom. In chapter 21, Abraham plants a, a, a tamarish, I guess is what you would call it, tree, and he calls out on the name of Yahweh. And then in 22, God asks him for the dearest gift. His only son tells him to go and sacrifice his son. What does he do? He goes up on the mountain. He obeys God. He ties up his son, sets him on the altar. He takes his knife back to slay his son. And the angel stops him and he says, now we believe that you fear God. How did he know he believed God? And feared God. The proof was in his obedience. That's how God knows that we fear him, is through obedience. Ephesians 2.10 says this. I want to submit this to you as well. This is very, um, many of you all know this verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That verse, you know what the good works are? Obedience. We overcomplicate things. We, we, sit on, we sit on our knees and ask God to speak to our heart. and God, tell me what to do. And there, there are moments for that. We need that. There are important moments where we need to be on our knees and we need to cry out to God. But let me tell you what works even better to start is to do what you find in here first. Read it and do it. 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 Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. I, 
I love the story of Keith Moore sharing about how he cried out to God for, for weeks on end about, Lord, speak to my heart, speak to me. I want to hear your voice, God, speak to my heart. And he said, finally, after weeks, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, he said, I've already spoken to you. It's called your Bible. And he said, read that first. And he said, but if I want to speak something additional to you, I will. Because sometimes we can get way out here to where we're just all about the spiritual, where we're no longer reading the Word of God. But this is the filter that all of the words that you receive should filter through. God won't go against His Word. That should be a big fat amen. Yeah. So, Pastor Phil, Rebecca, could you come and help me? Let me start again. Pastor Phil, you don't know my situation, man. You don't know how, how... difficult it is. I'm so tempted by this. I've got good news for you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such is as common to man. I know you like to think that you're a special case, but guess what? Your temptation is common. Common. Do you do you know why people, the people want to feel special? <laughs> well, feel special somewhere else, but we're all tempted with common temptations. Temptations that are common to man. But look at what it goes on to say. It says, but God is faithful. Everybody say, God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Huh. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. See, we like to think that, well, Pastor Pastor Phil, then why is this temptation so strong? Let me help you with that. The more you yield to temptation, the more power you give it in your life. But when you begin to step back and resist the temptation, not allow the temptation to have a foothold, have a place in your life, it begins to lose power. I like to say it this way. The voice, you know, some people say, well, you know, I just have trouble hearing the voice of God, but the voice of the enemy is real loud. Here's what happens when you begin to resist. The volume comes down and God's volume comes up and your strength, you're, you, you become empowered and strengthened by God. Now, there, there's things that you need to do in practicing righteousness. We have to cut off some things, cut off some voices in our life. It might be some relationships that need to be cut off. I was driving yesterday and I don't know why, but this situation came up where I was friends with this guy that treated me so terribly. And I just remember shaking my head as I think about going, why was I friends with that guy? It was a friendship that needed to be, I needed to step back from that relationship, you know, and get into relationship with people that have lives that are traveling in the direction that you want to go in. Let me tell you, Vision Church is a wonderful place to have friends because there's so many people here on fire for God. There's so many people that I meet here and and am in relationship with that I have. Their hunger convicts me. 
I love that because I want to be around people that the Holy Spirit convicts me through their relationship. You know what it's like to walk in my son's bedroom and see him studying or I remember one time I walked in his bedroom one time and he was down on his knees and he had his worship music blaring and he's just pressing into the presence of God and I could feel it in the room. I love that. That won't always be there. And so we need each other. See what the body supplies to one another? You guys supply that to each other. That's a good word right there. So the practice of righteousness is what it looks like to die to self. This is what taking up your cross and following after him looks like. It's the practice of righteousness. You don't have to be perfect. I mean, you don't put all this pressure on yourself that I, I just, you know, I get going, I get on fire for God and everything is going well until I sin. Well, get back on the horse. Get back in the wagon. Get back in the, I mean, get back in right relationship with God immediately. Why put it off? Man, but what do we do? Kickers. Man, I can't believe I did that. And we just beat ourselves up. Condemnation comes in. And the enemy is more than happy to help you do that. He is the only one that will come to that party. Woohoo! Let's party. Yeah, he is. He is. Oh, but people try to avoid the crucifixion of the flesh. Let me tell you. There's no loopholes in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, there's no loopholes. You can't get around it. The flesh dying is the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? We think that sounds amazing. But then he says, okay, take, pick up your cross. Where am I going with my cross? You're dying. You're going to die with me. Wow. Uh, you know why some people don't witness? This just came to me as I was studying this. Some people don't like to witness because they've either sinned recently or they sinned, not everybody, but this is some people. They either sinned recently or they, maybe they sinned uh, back here and, that, and they're still carrying that condemnation. And so they don't feel like they can witness to other people because they feel hypocritical. How can I witness to someone else when my life is not perfect? I got news for you. Your life will never be perfect in, in the definition of how we hold that word perfect. But when you look at scripture and we find out that God is the one who completes us and that we are made complete in him and that he said to be complete as I am complete, be perfect as I am perfect. Now, now it takes on a whole mean, new meaning because Jesus has totally provided the way. Forgiveness of sins. That you and I don't have to beat ourselves up. Are you going to miss it? Probably. But let me tell you what happens when you hunger after God and you go after him with everything that you have inside of you, your sin gets further and further and further. That's what's happened in my life. Man, the more I go after God, the less I want the world. Because I see, I've, I've found the, tre- the X on the treasure map. Literally, it's the pearl of great prize. 
This is what Jesus compared it to. It's the pearl of great price that you go home and you sell everything that you have to buy because I'm buying this pearl. What's the best thing you can leave your kids? A wonderful relationship with their heavenly father. I mean, leave them money too. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a blessing as well. But I'm just saying... So would you bow your heads all around the room? This is, this is what I feel to do. You know what? You don't have to bow your heads for this. It's all good. <clears throat> Here's what was burdening on my heart as, as I was looking at this and just considering um, everything related to practicing righteousness is I felt like there was going to be a lot of people in the room today that you're in a place where you have been battling with repetitive sin, habitual sins, and you don't know how to break free, and the condemnation of it is more than you can bear. I'm gonna name several different kind of people. This is the first one. And and there's three things. I forgot to give you the three things. You want the three things? Okay, these are important. How to deal with habitual sin. No brainer, ask forgiveness. Exercise the gift of repentance. Ask forgiveness. Ask for the escape plan from the Holy Spirit. Remember the remember I read it to you where where He's the one that will show you how to escape. He gives you a way of escape. Third, practice righteousness. It can't be that simple. Oh yes it can. It's the enemy that loves to confuse everything. But if that's you and you've been dealing with this habitual sin and you don't know how to break free from it, and I just gave you three things that are going that will tell you how to break free from it, how to how to get loose from it. But this morning, here's what I want this morning to be. I want this altar to become a reset for all of us. I want it to become a reset where we come and we say, God, I see now through this. How many of you can see through this now that it's the practice of righteousness that puts us in that place of holiness with God? It's not permission to sin. That's not what I'm saying. This is not greasy grace that I'm talking about. This is you and I being positioned in a place where we can live There's only freedom when you're forgiven and you live conscious free. A lot of people in prison that it's all in here. And so here's what I would like to do this morning as Rebecca plays and ministers on the piano is I want to invite everyone to come to the altar, to get on your knees before him or posture yourself in a place before him and allow him to reset your life and reset this in you so that you're no longer living condemned, no longer living under that. You say, no, Phil, no, no, Satan, I'm throwing that off. I do not want that in my life anymore. And I am resetting this morning. I understand that it's the practice of righteousness that makes me righteous, that I'm going to walk this out on a daily basis. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. I'm going to invite you to step out of your seats and come down here. 
And let's press into the presence of God together. Thank you, Lord. Zach, could you, could you come and minister to us? Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you. Father, we thank you.